back again with some of your favorite friends. Y'all boys, y'all ready? We gonna get it. With the new crib in the background with the with the track lighting. Let's go. Uh, yeah. Oh, y'all notice. Oh, y'all notice. Looks that. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Y'all notice the new drip, new drip. Yeah, before we get to that, yeah. this is of course, in San Antonio. <laughs> this is of course speaking for sport. I am of course the the most eligible bachelor in San Antonio. No, I am of course your most excellent and venerated host, your wife's favorite podcaster, Dr. Lewis. Third Not. baby, the third baby, and I am the host of your favorite podcast, speaking for sports. And I'm joined by my usual cast of friends, my best friend, but also kind of my most excellent hater, Daniel Davidson's here. What up, man? What do you do, baby? <laughs> I think a, a couple more E's on that. A couple more. E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nice. That's nice. And of course, rusty. the the man, the legend himself, Thespian Poppy, is in the building. Terrell Huff, what is up? Tis nothing. Oh, and support the arts because, well, we are the arts. Oh, I thought he was about to go into Shakespearean soliloquy, and instead, that was it. That was the whole line. <laughs> this, this is, of course, the show where we take one topic, one topic only. By the way, that's in the Wi-Fi password here at the new apartment. I have my own Wi-Fi, and now I've used not the third and one topic, one topic only as my password. Anyway, Why are you getting away your password over? That is what, a what good. That is a good question. That, is a bad, that was a mistake. That wasn't. That wasn't the exact password, but it's now close enough to where they could probably break into it. So, so you're right. That was a bad decision. I'm not cutting it out though because I like bad decisions. Dang. Anyway, we oh, take one topic. Boy, well, they live dangerous, yeah. boy. Dang. Now, so many people leaking off my Wi-Fi now. It's like, man. We have uh, we have so many more podcast listeners than I thought, uh-uh. <laughs> and they all somehow live at, at at the place I live. I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. <laughs> uh, so of course, this is a show where we take one topic, one topic only, distill it down into its purest form, its essence. Put it in a little bowl, stir it up, mix it up nice, like, and give it back to you, the people, the people. Now you're out there, you're searching for knowledge, and you found it. You found it with us, and so now you're informed. But you're so informed that you're probably reckless. reckless. You're so very, very reckless. And we can't stop you from being reckless. We can only put the information in your hands and let you do with it what you will. What and you will. what you will do with it is be reckless. Let's be real. Reckless. Today's program, we're going to talk about my new apartment. No, we're going to talk about... <laughs> wait. <laughs> Daniel, before I speak, before you speak... Mm-hmm. Before we luxuriate in this brand, no, I'm gonna stop making those jokes now. <laughs> One man must speak, <laughs> and <laughs> and that man is <laughs> who's recording? There's no one back there. is <laughs> not in the room with you. Don't lie to me. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> You're right. You could definitely be like below the camera. Anyway, that man is not me or Daniel or any of my bad jokes. That man is Thespian Poppy, and we call that segment. Because quite frankly, if he did not, if I didn't let him speak, he'd just talk right over me and do it anyway. So I turn it into a segment because I'm a great producer. Yep. And that segment is called Terrell Huff's First Take. Who's it sponsored by Daniel? Still sponsored by Chris Usman. Knockout Automotive. Is that from Bob for a smooth ride, smoothie, and a smile? I actually have a smoothie right here, and I'm going to enjoy that smoothie while he talks. Go ahead, Terrell Huff. Take it away. Go to work. By the way, that promo takes an even more prominent stance considering what happened to his brother. Uh, in his last fight. Mm. That being said, <laughs> so 
here's the thing, man. If you own a professional sports team, what we have learned is that it doesn't matter how toxic of an environment you you culture there. Uh, doesn't matter if people have told you multiple times that you shouldn't be such a douchebag. Doesn't matter whether your team actually is successful for an extended period of time or wins championships or anything. Because guess what? You own the team and you can pretty much do whatever you want. And honestly, unless players and coaches get together and say, man, we can't rock with you. You're probably going to get a slap on the wrist or at least what amounts to that for the most of us. Uh, and you're going to keep it moving. Well, our man, Robert Sauber, well, he gets a whole year where he doesn't have to answer any questions from the media or deal with any team stuff because, well, he's going to be suspended. And he's got a $10 million fine, which is probably equivalent of how much I would miss out on if I took a day off and I didn't have any vacation time. So you know what? I don't know what to say about that because realistically, this is where we are. Sports fans, we're going to be upset about it. People like LeBron James have come out and spoken out against it. We've even had a statement from an actual person that plays for him in Chris Paul. But when it's all said and done, none of that's going to matter because we're still going to have owners that are going to be out here culturing these horrible atmospheres. And until at some point the leagues that they own these teams in decide that that behavior is somehow some way grounds to maybe force them to have to sell their team uh, like a Donald Sterling or something like that. I don't know that it's ever going to change. So let's go ahead and get into it because I really don't have much else to say about it. It's kind of a tough situation to be in, I guess, if you're a fan. And that was, of course, Terrell Huff's first take. Who was it sponsored by Daniel? Sponsored by Chris Usman and the Knockout Automotive. Step on by for a smooth ride smoothie and a smile. And avoid those left feet. Oh, no. Not, okay. Well, we, we, didn't, we didn't have to do that. Um, before we get d deep into the topic, we're going to go ahead and roll on into our second segment, which is Daniel giving them the old what for. What? Give them the what for, Daniel. What's this? What's this? So as Terrell had uh, pretty much broken down for us earlier, uh, the NBA finally came out with his ruling after the almost year-long investigation into the uh, current, uh, I guess, the controlling owner for the Phoenix Suns, Robert Sarver. Um, he had been accused of quite a few different things, actually. He's been pretty active, um, ranging from uh, misogyny, um, potential uh, sexual misconduct in regards to how he's treating some of his employees, all the way over to potential blatant racism. Um, so after all these ones have been uh, combined together and investigated and completed, the NBA did come down to the ruling that, um, yes, he was found guilty of some of these things, but the overall punishment came out to be year suspension, $10 million, as Terrell had mentioned. So really the biggest thing, because we've seen this quite a few times with a few, you know, different people in power, owners, uh, we've seen coaches and such with this too. Uh, but the biggest thing I think is the reaction and the overall ruling that came down from it. Um, Adam Silver did give a bit of explanation, actually, of what his line of thinking was and why he was limited in regards to what he could uh, dole out in terms of punishment. We'll get into that in a little bit here. Um, we had a couple of superstars react immediately, and LeBron James and Chris Paul, in regards to them um, 
you know, being upset in regards to what the punishment was too. So as of right now, um, that's kind of where we're at for today is that the ruling has been doled out. He's got his punishment, but really is it enough going forward? And we'll get into that for y'all today. Yeah, where I kind of want to start, let's just start at the beginning, was I find it kind of stark, I guess, to read the ESPN uh, chronicle of what was going on. Then you had the investigation, the ruling, and Robert Sarver's initial reaction basically to the uh, to the original findings that ESPN, or the reporting, I should say, it's not findings, reporting that ESPN did was basically he denied everything except for one instance I think he didn't, he didn't deny because it, it was kind of like him and Earl Washington had a shouting match and he was like, I didn't deny that, I actually did that. <laughs> but everything else he kind of denied categorically. Um, after this time, with after the kind of the truth, one would hope the truth of the matter after the investigation, the punishment, while he still gave a somewhat of a disagreement, he said he disagrees with how some of the things were characterized. He didn't necessarily go as full throated with his denial as the last as when the ESPN reporting came out, which was interesting to me that he would that he kind of walked back in that sense, I guess, kind of seeing the writing on the wall, seeing what the suspension was, kind of seeing that the report at least backed him up in terms of not being a violent sociopathic racist. I guess he was willing to kind of be like, well, I think this is the best I'm going to do in this situation. Might as well kind of roll on out here. I'll give me, I'll give him a little slight tepid disagreement, but um, that's it. So what did you guys make of the ruling and the server reaction? And we'll start there and start with that. Um, for the ruling, I won't say that I was surprised by it, seeing kind of how we, we've seen some things play out. Um, do I think it was enough? No, not at all, especially for what he was uh, accused of saying. Uh, so many people had come out and spoken about this as well, but I thought that that would carry a little bit more weight than, than what it did. Um, even going to the explanation for you know the reasons why they decided to limit it to only one year and it's a million dollars. Two million was actually the max they, they could charge, um, so we kind of see, seen that before. Now, for the one year, though, uh, I think a big part of that, and Adam touched on, Adam still touched on that a little bit, was that if they were to go even further than that, they would have to actually involve the other owners in regards to actually saying, you know, can we get it approved or not? So to avoid that type of, you know, having to get, I think about 24 had to agree if they want more than that or more extreme than what they were looking for, that they kind of kept it to just that one year to make sure for sure that he would serve something going forward. Now, while you... Some people will say, that, well, at least that's something that he's being punished, you know, the fine, being away from the team. I would say it's a little bit different for an owner being away from a team versus a player. Um, he's not going to lose any money more than just the $10 million, whereas a player would use, lose their game checks as well. Uh, I also want to call into um, – I don't want to get really too much into it early on, but the parallel between – that we make a lot of time between the NBA and the NFL in regards to do they really even care, you know, either about the players in regards to, you know, Black people, Black Lives Matter, things of that nature. Do they care about women? I think we've kind of been going back and forth between like the disparaging difference between the NBA and the NFL. But I think with this ruling, it kind of put them more in the same light than what we had really seen before. That it really came down to at the end of the day, that really it would end up being just big business, really, and not really much for getting to the, you know, holding someone accountable or thinking that, okay, I'm going to try to go for the extra mile because I think that's what should be done versus being, I'm going to do what I think I'm allowed to do without causing too much distraction for the upcoming season too. So I think for how the NBA was 
shown to be in regards to kind of being the forefront of that for the professional sports leagues that they kind of taken a step back and shown that they actually are more maybe in line with the pack in regards to how they're treating certain things uh, because really first and foremost they kind of want to make sure that they get something on the books but also they can move forward with the season as well yeah the I, I don't know that there's been much debate on this about this topic on this show, but the NBA is essentially the NFL with a little more transparency and better PR. Um, they're not quite different. Neither is the MLB. None of these leagues are quite different in how they handle these situations. The NFL just refuses to be out ahead of these situations, whereas the NBA and the MLB, they somewhat sometimes get get out ahead and get the PR. And even they don't escape backlash, but they minimize the backlash compared to the NFL. I think that's really the only difference. I, don't, I wouldn't say the NBA is some... And, and another big difference is that the players, they have at least built some relationship with the players where mm. the players will at least back their play a lot of times on these things, even when right. it can be a little suspect. And even when the players disagree they will say we disagree but hey this is still my league blah 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 right. so the late mm-hmm. the players have a more sense of ownership in the nba and i would also say in the mlb than they do in the nfl and i think that gives them some grace because and i, I do want to stay here because daniel broke this topic so let's get into it now and then we'll kind of go back i will say that how the nfl how the mfl and the mlb and the excuse me and the nba handled black lives matter they didn't handle it quite that much differently the NBA has its rules where you cannot kneel during the national anthem, and how they got around that is that their players chose never to exercise that right because they put in place some things early to say, hey, this is how we'll help, this is how we'll do this. But they never removed that rule. They still have that rule. You still must stand during the national anthem, and they, for the most part, escaped most criticism for having that rule while the NFL got beaten over the head about it every week, week in and week out, because players constantly challenge that rule. And so like I, that's what I, I think Daniel makes a solid point here where the NBA isn't some I, – I, I, I'd like to believe that the NBA cares a tad bit more about these issues because they are a little more forward-facing about them, but in the grand scheme of things – when it comes down to money, when the money's on the line, which is kind of the most important time, they're much closer to the NFL than they are to the idealistic image of the NBA. Terrell, what do you think about that in terms of the NBA's image versus actually holding people accountable and yeah, holding up to that standard? I think, well, I think when you look at the difference between the two leagues, I think it, it it's a reflection on the majority of the athletes. I mean, let's let's be clear. The NFL is about, you know, even though it's got a a large number of black players, I think it's something like 70 percent of the players are African-American. The NBA, that number is a little bit higher, but also the NBA's audience is a little bit different. Um, And so you have a majority black audience versus a majority white audience when you look at the NFL. And I think that's kind of where some of the differences, for me at least, come from. Um, they sort of base their identities from, you know, one league versus the other. They kind of base their identities in these pockets of the country where they almost stuff themselves in a corner in regards to how they have to react to certain behavior and certain things that the players do. Um, You know, the NFL feels to me like even though you have these major cities that have teams, they still feel to me to sort of aim their, their, they sort of aim their, their, whether it's advertising or what seems like the targeted audience they're trying to, 
to pinpoint seems to be this this rural farm boy, you know, hardworking, everyday people type thing. But when you look at the NBA, it's like, nah, we're going to we're going to talk about, you know, hey, you know, even when you look at like the um, when you look at the, the, the commentators, like it doesn't matter. If they're white, black, Puerto Rican. It don't matter what they are. They talking about so and so's in his bag. You got, you got. Uh, um, oh my gosh, what? She's a legend. What's her name? Uh, but she's uh, she's uh, she's on the sideline usually, um, and I can't remember her name. And I apologize. Doris Burks. Doris Bur- Doris Burks be out there shaking people up in between like plays. Man, she's out there dribbling the basketball. Like there's this vibe about the NBA, and you can tell who they're aiming for when they advertise and when they're trying to reach an audience and it's a complete difference when you look at the nfl and i think that ties into what they allow from management and coaches and owners and things of that nature and the reaction like you just talked about the the national anthem thing the reaction was completely different in the nfl than it was uh in the nba and it some of it kind of fueled a lot of the things that the people that were upset about the anthem thing in the NFL, as far as fans and, and, and even coaches in some cases, a lot of that fueled, you know, we don't want to be looking like the NBA. They may not have said it out loud, but the idea was, well, you can kind of do that stuff in the NBA because they're all about, you know, they'll, they'll allow activism and they'll allow you to have a grievance about a certain thing or they'll talk about racism. They'll talk. We don't want to talk about that stuff here in the NBA, NFL. And so that's i think why you saw this situation where the nfl got pounded over the anthem thing versus when the nba kind of didn't is because they've always seemed in the nba to be more receptive to those subjects and to those issues and the nfl has always given the impression that they're not receptive to those issues because guess what 75 percent of our fan base is white and so therefore if they don't like it we don't like it and so we're going to do everything we can to avoid the subject to get around it to, you know, we're going to, and they do the bare minimum. And we talked about this before. They never get out in front of anything. They never do. It's almost like they can't anticipate that they would actually get blowback from anybody about anything. And maybe it's because they've never been held really accountable. The media talks bad about them and the media says, hey, this is horrible. You've got Jerry Richardson out here doing, saying racist things and you've got all these other things that are going on in the NFL. You, you hear them talk about it in the media, but nothing gets done. It doesn't strike me as a league where these owners are really, really going to be punished. Jerry Richardson was on his way out regardless. So people, t- they bring him up as somebody that was, quote, punished. But realistically, he was on his way out anyway. He was one of the oldest guys owning a team in the NFL. So, you know, that, that that to me is why there seems to be a big difference is because you have a completely different type of owners. Robert Sarver, in my opinion, in the, in the NBA, it's funny to say, but it's sort of the opposite of the NFL. In the NFL, you'll find a whole lot of Jerry Richardson type guys. And then you got a handful of guys that are a little bit different. But in the NFL or NBA, excuse me, Robert Sarver is not the norm. He's not the typical NBA owner, like as far as this nonsense that he's doing. Most of these NBA owners are, you know, okay guys. They might donate to some assholes and stuff like that, politically speaking. But for the most part, they're not standing in the way of, you know, players expressing themselves. Well, let's hold let's let's hold on that real quick, because you say that the NFL and the NBA. And so we'll stay on the comparison a little bit um, while also we're going to answer two separate questions at the same time. 
if the NFL was handling this, do you think they would handle it in the same way or would it be differently? And then do you think the NBA has actually handled this well? So those and one is a comparison to the NFL. If we're using the NFL as a standard, did the NBA go above that standard and then holding them to account by themselves? Did the NBA just meet the actual standard? Because in my opinion, and this is my opinion, the NFL is a, is a lower standard. So getting above them isn't necessarily the goalpost. Um, and while we'll do that, I'll also throw this kind of back at Terrell. You say that the NFL, the, the NFL is that Jerry Richardson is the norm, whereas in the NBA, Robert Sarver is kind of the exception. And to some degrees, that is correct because Robert Sarver has—I mean—it's been noted he's not very good at running an, an NBA team. That's not—that's not new news. It's not surprising that his workplace is toxic because of the culture that seems to be around the Suns, but this is not the first time the NBA has had these allegations come up with a, with an owner. Even the golden boy, right. quote unquote, Mark Cuban has had some of these right. allegations come up about his organization. We of course have the, the famous Donald Sterling incident, which necessarily isn't about the organization, but was about the man himself. Um, so is it accurate to say that the NBA is different in that way than the NFL um, in terms of ownership and uh, go ahead and get on back in Dan. No, I mean, to me, I've I've always thought this and I've always said I think they were pretty much one and the same to me. Um, Again, when it comes to how they handled this, I think they probably handled it almost similar to how the NFL handled the Deshaun Watson situation. You know, they kind of just were. Ooh, you beat me to it. I was going to make you compare them later. All right, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, they basically just kind of just did what they need to do to kind of wash their hands of it and move on with the season type of thing. They didn't really jump out there, put their neck out there and try to do something to kind of set precedent. Uh, to kind of show that, you know, even though it may cause litigation or cause us more trouble down the line, we're willing to go the extra mile because we think this is right. It's more of, okay, well, what are we allowed to do? What's the president, precedent that's been set? Let's go with that and wash our hands with it and move forward type of thing. So in that situation, that's the same. Um, in regards to, uh, to touch on for a little bit, what we talked about a little bit earlier, for the perception for between the two, I think – the reason why I brought that up in the first place, though, was just because that I think to most fans, the way it seemed like the NBA was all for the players themselves in regards to player empowerment, in regards to their commissioner is cool and, you know, he's 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 really with the players and he's, he's all for them and wants them to do well. When I think that's more just the fact that the NBA players kind of just have the power right now in regards, in regards to the negotiations. But if that ever changes, he may see something similar to the NFL type of thing. So it's not really where the league wants that to happen, but they see that it is what it is. So while the players have the power, then yeah, more stuff's going to lean more towards what the players want. And it kind of seems that way that the NBA is for the players or for black people and such when it really is just at the end of the day, just a big business type of thing. Um, so to me, it all comes back to that in terms of how they handled it and, how they look going forward is they seem to me pretty much the same as the NFL. And we hadn't seen this in a while, but it kind of, it's kind of sobering, I think for a lot of things too. Um, it kind of brings you back to the norm of, okay, well we thought it was one, this one way, but here's a big, here's a big time, you know, perfect opportunity for you to kind of show that, yes, we're way different from any other professional sports league out there. Um, we're going to go the extra mile. Uh, why we want an owner that may even make these type of jokes or be that unaware of, you know, what saying the N-word would mean when he has pretty much almost all black players? Well, why would we allow that? Why not, why not punish him to the fullest extent that we can because we want to send a message that, hey, we don't treat our players that way because we care about the players. The players are the league. And they were said, when they had the chance to do it, they kind of balked at it and said, okay, well, we could do more, but mm, it might get voted down by the owner, so we're not going to go that far. 
and that lets you know that we would like to, but at the end of the day, business is business. Again, I'm the commissioner. I'm at the service of the owners themselves. So really it is the, the it's still an owner's league. We thought it was right. a player's league, but at the end of the day, when you sure. come down to the actually the brass tax of it, it's an owner's right. league. They all are because the owners are the ones, again, that own the team. So they're going to have most control over it. They hire the commissioner. So everything that they do for it is in service to the ownership and the business themselves. And I partially agree with that. And in, in, in real quick, the reason why I do is because you mentioned it a, a few moments ago, which is, okay, we can punish him to the extent that we can without having to involve the other owners. But I think he realized if we involve the other owners, it's a real good chance there ain't going to be any punishment mm -hmm. at all. And we don't want to deal with that. So the reason why I say I partially agree is because I don't believe what Silver thought might happen would have happened. I think there was a better chance based on the information that came out in this report. I think there was a better chance that the owners would have been on board with maybe something a little bit harsher. I don't think they would have taken the man's team or anything like that, but I could see a situation where they may have, you know, decided to come down a little bit harder than what we saw. But that being said, you know, I, I think it was almost like Silver had this impression that, hey, maybe we're a lot more like the uh, NFL. If I take the city's owners, these owners might be like, nah, nah, it ain't that bad. And and they may just say, nah, let him rock. And so, you know, it, so that's why I say I partially agree because, yeah, I, I think, you know, to my initial point, I feel like the NBA is a little bit further ahead, I think is, is a way to, to put a bow on it for me. Um, when it comes to handling these issues and they're not as secretive, I think, um, and they don't seem, at least on the surface, like they're trying to hide certain details to protect people that really should not be protected, which I feel like the NFL is almost unfortunately per like perfected to this point. I mean, let's be clear. We found out stuff about um, uh, my man's in, 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 uh, that was in uh, Las Vegas slash Oakland. Um, uh, Gruden, we found out mm -hmm. stuff about Gruden that happened 10 years ago because they mm -hmm. did such a good, uh, good, uh, they did such a good job of tucking that stuff away. Um, with Sarver, it had been happening and people had been telling this dude to chill, but unfortunately it wasn't a situation where the NBA, NBA was like, ah, we knew you've been doing this stuff for 18 years. It was more like, let's go back as far as we can and see what's been going on and then realize, holy crap, this stuff's been going on for a really long time and people have talked to him about it and he's still doing it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I still feel like the NBA gets out of, in front of these things a little bit better, but yeah, I do. But yes, there are similarities in regards to how it was handled by Silver because he probably felt like it was going to be similar to what happens in the NFL, which is the owners would probably protect the guy and it wouldn't have been anything to happen. Yeah, and you, I think Daniel's point is interesting because Adam Silver and Roger Goodell, when you actually identify them and their processes and what they do and how they do it, they are not dissimilar people. Um, Adam is a little more... He comes off a little more affable, which I think does mm -hmm. him some service and does some work for him that he probably uh, needs because some of his decision making isn't entirely dissimilar to Roger Goodell. Sometimes mm -hmm. um, they both are hamstrung by the very parameters of their job, which is that, as Daniel mentioned, they both work for the owner. So at the end of the day, yeah. they're always working back channels to figure out what they can get away with. Um, when Adam Silver says, I could have punished him more 
which I thought was a starking admission in terms of the year, the year amount he could have given him. Um, essentially, what he's admitting to is I, I could try to, but I knew I didn't have the votes to get it done any further. So I did what I could without getting to that line because I know I don't have the votes. And oftentimes, Roger Goodell does that as well. He says, mm-hmm. I would love to do more. Um, anyone who is, and this is a good time to say this, anyone who thinks that Roger Goodell like hates the players or is against the players doesn't actually read any of the stuff that is said about Roger Goodell. By all accounts, Roger Goodell loves the players and wants to do more all the time, but he's always running against the line of what he can actually get done. Um, now for Adam Silver, it's like Daniel said, it's a lot easier sometimes for him to get stuff done because the players do have quite a bit more control, even from just the the structure of the league, the, the split of the revenue, all of that stuff. Right. The, 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 the NBA PA is, is, has much more power than the NFL PA at this point. Um, just the very structures of the games and how they've evolved over time has given the players more control. But at the end of the day, they are still the same people and they are still hamstrung by the same, same stuff. Um, and so I, I say all that to say that a lot of people are it, – it's interesting to me that a lot of people are comparing this to the Donald Sterling situation. Like, oh, yeah, Adam Silver swooped in and he took that man's team. Why isn't he going to swoop in and take that man's team again? And totally what people don't situation. remember – yeah, what people don't remember is that, A, the owners were in favor of taking that man's team. And you know why the owners yeah. were in favor of taking that man's team? Because he was making them look bad, and he was making him look bad at the wrong time. Because if you yeah. don't remember, the NBA playoffs – were in full force. They were in the semifinal uh, conference semifinal round, and the Clippers were still playing games. And there yeah. was very real talk that they were going to stop playing games, which is yeah. the NBA lets that happen. That's a problem. And so it's a yep. very, very different situation. The money was quite literally on the line in that situation. They're like, look, this man's always been a, a thorn on our side. He doesn't run a good team. He's making us look bad. Where they didn't want to, and all reports account from that time say that they were very reluctant to set a precedent like that, which is why I think you yeah. see that they're like, yeah, we're not doing that again because then mm-hmm. we've really we've really ratcheted in a precedent that if you get caught in these situations, your team can get yanked. Um, mm-hmm. And so they're very different situations, the Donald Sterling situation and this situation. And the difference is is the money, as Daniel always says, yep. follow the money. And so what, what do yep. you guys think in terms of the comparisons that's been going from Donald Sterling? Um, do you think it should matter that these the timing of the things because it seems to be in my opinion a major factor in why these are significantly different outcomes because I don't think they're entirely dissimilar situations but they are very they are very different outcomes between one was basically forced to sell his team and one is like hey come back in a year pal here's and give us ten mil um, so what, what do you guys think about that? I really think it came down to that recording, though. That was what kind of pushed it over the edge. I think yeah. if that had never came out, he probably got suspended for maybe a year, a few years, or something like that. But he actually would have kept the team. But the fact that it actually was evidence, people could hear it. And again, mm-hmm. you got that public, you know, outrage kind of building up. Then at that point, like you're saying, D, is at that, they're like, he's not really worth all the trouble it's going to cause us to protect him and keep him around the league anymore. And the players are about to, you know, maybe mutiny on him. So, yeah, at that point, it's cut bait. But if it was more like, okay, he can still potentially deny it and fight against it, then it's like, oh, at that point, there's no hard proof or evidence. So I think they would still rock with him and maybe just punish him for a certain extent, but allow him Mm -hmm. to keep the team. So that's why, to me, this is way different because, yes, there is going to – there's actual personal accounts about what happened. And he even, like like you said, say that he did have that shouting match um, with with the coach. But – no one actually heard him say it with their own ears or any video of it. And I think that it came out, we have a much different conversation and much more, you know, I think uh, in terms of punishment, it would be much more severe. 
Um, now, would you, would you get to the point of losing this team? No, I don't think that. I really think the owners at this point don't want to open up more windows for ways for them to lose the team. But I think he just got more years of suspension or something tacked onto that too. But the fact that it's more just reports that have been going on, that the ones that you can kind of explain away, it's like, oh, it's just office talk and all that kind of stuff, which is kind of wild because all this stuff about as far as we've come so far in 2022 with the Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matters and such, it still kind of comes back to if I'm like high enough on the food chain, I still can kind of can say what I want and get away with it type of thing. Because again, he's like talking to men and women, you know, kind of being inappropriate sexually. Um, things he said about the players and even repeating the N-word so many times. But he can feign ignorance saying like, oh, I'll just ask him a question or I'll just kind of making a joke or something like that. That still can be glossed over depending on how, how high you are. Um, so I think in that sense, it's also kind of surprising and a bit sobering to that as well. That that, again, kind of reared his ugly head that it kind of showed depending on where you're at and kind of what your worth is, it still is going to be different rules for you. And if you don't have that proof of the recording or anything else to kind of just have hard evidence, then there is a way for someone to not get the fullest extent of a type of punishment for that. Two things that me and Daniel are going to get back into later, which is the legal, what you can prove legally versus what you can, which is Secondhand, secondhand accounting and how much that should affect these kind of punishments. We kind of touched on that a lot in the Deshaun Watson account, and now we're kind of back to it here. So I definitely want to touch on that again. And then another thing, uh, power structures, as Daniel has kind of brought in with who can get away with what and for how long. I think it's very important that we touch on that topic. But first, we're going to go back to Terrell and to answer that question on um, the Donald Sterling versus the Robert Sarver of it all. Yeah. It, it's unfortunately it's unfortunate that the timing is a factor in this. It should not be, but it, it is unfortunate from a standpoint of we've already talked about the fact that we, we feel like these two these two individual owners, the level of what they did was obviously very different. Um, the recording, like Daniel just talked about, um, is a big part of that because we heard you, you know, you know, these guys could hear the disdain in his voice, the, the, the vitriol, the, just the, just the, ugh, you know, like th there was a disgusting, you know, I remember hearing the recording, which was kind of weird because you would not expect to hear anything like that. But I remember hearing parts of the recording and just thinking, damn, like he really don't like black folks. Like, <laughs> like, you know, it's, it, and I remember thinking to myself, why, why would you own an NBA team? You know, like, like, you know, if you really don't like being around black folks and dealing with black folks, I mean, probably because he wanted to feel like he owned some, but whatever. But bottom line is it was really bad. Whereas when I look at Sarver, this felt more like, you know, kind of, a, and I hate to trivialize it like this, but it, it, I kind of got the impression from what I was hearing that it was just a really bad version of like frat boy, idiot behavior and being that he was the owner it was just trickling down from the top and so as much as i don't want the timing of it to be a factor um luckily for me and for the nba they can kind of get away from the timing of it and and kind of take people's minds off what they recall from the sterling situation and just say hey we had all these people come out and say this guy was awful and he did these things and we told him not to do these things. And he did them again years later. And it was over an extended period of time. 18 years, I believe, is what um, is what was said. So 
they were able to take that and use that and then, you know, kind of be like, okay, yeah, we're not going to take the guy's team away. We're going to take him away from the team for a while. Um, I Part of me wonders if maybe they're hoping that in that year time frame, he maybe decides to let somebody else kind of, you know, do the day-to-day running of things. And maybe he just becomes kind of a quiet in the background type of owner, mm-hmm. uh, not sitting on the sidelines during games and so on and so on. Um, I, I think maybe that's a thought and maybe a hope. The other thing I will say is, um, and uh, kind of wrap up my, my piece on this is that I, it would be really hard to convince me that um, that Silver did not go to representatives or the owners themselves and say, "What all can I do that I'm not going to have to come to you guys and you know ask and and go through this whole process." This is what I'm proposing. Is that going to work? Is that enough to where I don't have to have you guys have a vote and go through this whole process? Um, or can I do more? Which I think leads back to what you were talking about earlier, where he said, you know, if I could do more, I would. So I, I'm pretty sure he probably went to them and said, hey, you know, this is what I'm proposing. Is that acceptable for y'all? So we don't have to go through this whole process um, or, you know, can I do more? Blah, blah, blah. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, as much as it was a big, vast difference between these two owners, um, it doesn't make what Sarver did any less egregious um, and again, even though you would hope the timing wouldn't be a factor um, in making it it, it, it unfortunately was in that situation. In this particular case, the season hasn't started yet. But I would say this when the if, the, if we were in the middle of the um, of the playoffs, for instance, or even in the midst of the season, uh, you know, December, January time frame, I think this particular incident. I don't think we'd have heard about it if we were mid-season already. I don't think we'd have heard about it until the off-season. Um, I think they would have not swept it under the rug completely, but I think they would have just held off, um, and they would have waited until the off-season to take care of it. This, this to me, feels like something that would have been handled in an off-season no matter what, just because, unfortunately, I don't think they, they see it as egregious as what happened with Donald Sterling. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because I think, I, I, in my opinion, I think those 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 situations come down to how much outside force is applied. Is the media yeah. applying an outside force, which in general, because of the access that is needed for them to do their job, they're not going to apply as much force in terms of making them address it as now. The Again, I think the real reason that that Donald Sterling situation got addressed as immediately as it did is because the players have pu- applied enough pressure without actually having to go through on the threats. And it was funny because I remember at the time people were like, they should boycott. And I was like, they absolutely shouldn't yeah. boycott unless they are absolutely forced to and they think it's the right idea because they are losing significant they're losing something significant if they boycott you don't boycott just to boycott that's what's funny about people and protests and how they think protests work is like your protest has to has to be towards something and if they give you what you want before you protest then you don't need to protest that's how Mm -hmm. protest works and so and so i think to to terrell's point if they were afforded the ability to get to the office they definitely would but if outside pressures were um, were applied, they might not have been able to do it a- as much, or maybe they would have put their foot down. It would be an interesting. It'd be an interesting scenario. Um, it's it's also 
just this has really nothing to do with anything, but it's kind of interesting that Chris Paul is involved in both of those situations with Donald Sterling. I and thought with the Rob, same thing. Robert He's Starver. a common denominator. Yeah, so <laughs> He's a common denominator. Yeah. <laughs> Toxicity <laughs> follows Chris Paul wherever he – no, I'm just playing. That's not, that's not fair to put on Chris Paul. But it's just funny that he is involved you know, prominently in both of these situations with both of these owners, um, finding himself in the mix. And just to wrap up that little portion of the point, um, I always – Terrell kind of said something that I think is kind of funny. Um, I always think it's funny when the commissioners have to like do the song and dance of acting like they made these decisions unilaterally, but then you can tell that they didn't. And so they're trying to tell you without telling you like, yeah, I didn't, I, this decision isn't necessarily mine, but it's mine because I get paid to tell you it's mine. So you could tell Adam was, Adam Silver was definitely, towing that line as best as he could right up to the fact where he was like they were asking him like could you have punished him more and he was like yeah um, but it didn't <laughs> but it did not like, I ain't like he ran up on the podium like yo man this dude getting a year and I'm getting 10 mils out of this dude man I'm tired of this nonsense he was like I, I read the report and based on the facts this was the punishment that I decided upon and he yeah, was like, but then yeah, they were like but did you really and he was like yeah man I, I decided upon yeah, and for the audio listeners I am winking I am winking I am winking right now because that's basically what Adam Silver was doing to the camera was like I decided to be on the spot, man. What y'all want me to say, man? What y'all want me to say? <laughs> and a lot of those answers came down to that. And like we're gonna now we're gonna dive a little deeper into into the press conference and his kind of response because I think he I, not necessarily as bogged down in his responses as maybe the rest of the media is, but I think his responses illustrate a lot of things about how power structures work, about legal intent, and what you can prove legally and what you can prove and you know, a lot of the things that me and Dan have kind of been debating over the last few weeks, mm-hmm. I think, I, I popped up in Adam Silver's con- uh, press conference. And the one thing I will say before we just get into that is that there was a lot of times where Adam Silver got caught up in, well, uh, you know, Robert Sarver has a lot of black friends, you know, there was a lot of, <laughs> he knows a lot of black people. And so, you know, yeah, he weighed yeah. the good with the bad. And I was like, man, Adam, that is not a good look. That is not a good line, line of question to go down. But I, <laughs> I also can, like, I can hey, also man. appreciate like, he was in some real bad spots with some of those questions. And they were excellent questions yeah. by the reporters, but like he was put in some real bad situations where he was like, yeah, Robert Sarver did some bad things, but then, you know, diversity. Yeah. You see all the things he did with diversity mm-hmm. is he has eight black friends he is eight man look <laughs> and half of them on the team man look yeah. I, my they need sometimes i feel like they need to switch out some of these uh sports uh, uh some of these sports reporters uh they need to switch out some of them with they need to have like a day where they switch with the political reporters <laughs> so that they can ask questions <laughs> in a different setting i would love to see that because i think personally i think the sports reporters tend to they get they get a lot of um they get a lot of flack for like being annoying and like supposedly trying to put people but realistically though you don't see a ton of like oh he lying he ain't telling the truth like a lot of times it's like no he just he just asked you a question that you didn't want to you didn't want to have answered or you didn't want to answer and he keeps pressing you on it or she keeps pressing you on it. So I'd like to see that because I felt like the questions he was getting asked silver were actually ex- amazing. Like the fact that they kept on him and they were asking him questions that they knew he wasn't going to want to answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, some of that was because he does have some goodwill with the press though, because, you know, as much as we talked about his similarities with um, Goodell, um, he, he does not, in my opinion, seem to quite run away 
from the more controversial stuff when he gets asked questions about it, he seems to he may tap dance a little bit and he may try to find a nuanced way around giving a direct answer to certain stuff, but he at least still somewhat confronts, you know, things when, when, when they're put to him um, from the press. Um, so I, I can give him a bit go of ahead. Yeah. Well, so I do feel that's maybe the reason why they're kind of repressing him so hard though, because they might've been surprised themselves about the ruling yeah. that came out. Cause it's like, Oh, well, mm-hmm. when we know about Adam silver and kind of how he is with the players and such that, they assume he probably would go for a pretty extensive or pretty severe punishment yeah. with, with cigar, but now they're like, "Wait, you can do what? That's all you can do? <laughs> really? Come on, man! Like we thought, you know, not Donald Sterling, but maybe like at least four or five years, yeah. maybe like some draft picks or something, or something to, yeah. you know, to send a message." But you basically kind of just like slap him on the wrist and let him go home, so he can watch his team from TV and still make all his money yeah, and keep all the draft picks, picks and. I wonder if, you know, because the way to punish him is, is to do some of those things, but I wonder if it's almost a feeling of, well, the organization, the people in the organization, they didn't, they didn't, they are the ones who are getting That's some true. of the brunt yeah. of this. Do we Why really want to punish them that? organizationally? Yeah. Um, yes. I still would say yes. But yes. I'm just saying that I wonder how much of a factor that that is in in his thinking. He just never asked that question. I will say to you, to y'all's point on the questions, um, and, and them being surprised. There was such there was a lot of like looking down at the report and a lot of like, geez, Adam, I don't know, bud. <laughs> but, but this this isn't all adding up, buddy. Like that, mm-hmm. in, in, in like the most pleasant fact, like Howard Beck and um. I forget the other reporter's name. They did that a couple of times where it was like, I'm reading from the report, Adam, and you think that maybe you didn't do the right thing because such, 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 and such. And Adam was like, yes, I do think that, but I can't do anything about it. Why did you ask me that question? I will now vamp for a little bit. Um, and so I think y- y'all guys kind of picked up on some of the same things I picked up on, which was like the reporters were just like, I don't know, bud. I like you, but this doesn't make a ton of sense. <laughs> I can only stretch the shoes so far, Adam. Only so far. Yeah, give me something. <laughs> and so, uh, lifeline, fam. So, something that I, I particularly picked up on that I actually want to kind of go over with Daniel again because I think it kind of dovetails into our point. I actually, I'm curious what his thoughts are and, and how he, he likens these two situations. It was one of the first things I kind of thought of is that Adam really he didn't want to, he, to, according to his words, he didn't want to harp on the legal definitions of some of the things and his mm. him being hamstrung by legality. But the report outright says we cannot determine the intent of his actions. So we cannot declare this man racial, racially motivated because we cannot understand what's in his heart. And me and Daniel have kind of been warring over this over the last few weeks, which is like how much should a human being be allowed to determine what is actually in a man's soul versus how their actions affect the people around them? Because whether or not you believe that Robert Sarver had malicious intent with his racism or his racial um, impropriety, um, he definitely, what he did was put people in situations that were bad and were racially motivated. Even if he does not feel that he is mercifully motivated, the people who he was attacking feel that it was racially motivated because race is based upon what he is doing. Um, mm-hmm. And so how do you compare that to kind of what we went over with the Deshaun Watson case? And then how do you compare that in terms of, and I'll just say this for me, you seem like, Oh, more punishment for Robert Sarver even though it is somewhat of a he said, she said, and you seem like less punishment for Deshaun Watson, even though it's a he said, she said, in terms of what we can actually prove since we don't have the physical recording evidence. So how, how are you seeing those two situations in, in both of those those matters, Deep? 
Yeah, I mean, a big part of it, it comes down to, um, you know, when these type of allegations come up is honestly how well the, the party can explain away what happened is really kind of what kind of hems it up a lot or jams it up a lot of times is like, okay, well, we know that something was said. We have a lot of people that are, you know, confirming this as well. But can you change the context and make it seem like, oh, okay, I can kind of see where maybe they might have took it a bit extra or something. And when that happens, doubt comes in. And that's why a lot of times I think a lot of these organizations and teams get scared about trying to do more than what is the standard because of the legality of it and potential lawsuits. Because if you remember, Donald Sterling actually did sue the NBA once they took his team away. Um, they said they had stole it from him. And I think it was like for hundred mil. It was quite a bit of money he's trying to get from them for them trying to take the team. Now they have more to stand on because of the recording and, you know, because of other evidence as well. But that's always going to be a concern whenever you can try to punish or even try to take away from a business owner, anybody in general. Um, so you try to avoid it as much as possible. Uh, in comparison to what's going on with Deshaun Watson and for this one, why I think this one's a little bit different is a lot of this for Deshaun was kind of based off of the police investigation. It's kind of what the I think a lot of the weight was on it where for the NBA, it was more just they didn't have law enforcement involved at all. It was just about, okay, well, this is just our how, how we're holding our owners to, you know, in terms of their code of conduct type of, type of deal. So I think in that situation, that's why I was thinking, okay, you may have more leeway to pursue something. But the fact that it came down to just the one year and 10 mil, then I was like, yeah, it kind of just made sense to me. The same thing for Deshaun Watson is like, well, this is all that we can do apparently just because of – we don't have any hard evidence to go further than that. So we have to kind of go back to the status quo. Um, and again, they'll still have the same type of critique that I have for the Sean Watson case. What is, where is if the league or if the organization is where they feel that, you know, this is so terrible that, you know, this can't, this can't be allowed to stand, um, that this should never be allowed again. Then my thing has always been to prove it with your actions, not with your words. A lot of stuff has been just kind of just, you know, saying that this shouldn't happen, this is terrible, yada, yada, yada. But okay, then why not take a step out there, put your necks out there, take on potential lawsuits coming at you because you're trying to do more than what has been done before because you're trying to prove a point and kind of throw the hammer down type of thing. But in my, from my perception, both times when this happened for the NFL and the NBA, when they had a chance to kind of step out there and do more than the norm, even though there may be repercussions legally, they balked at it every single time and went back to what was done before and, you know, what is the safest route to make sure that we're not open for any type of li you know, liabilities or any type of litigation against us. Um, so why I know it sounds like I'm more for, oh, well, Rob Sharp should get the book thrown at him. He should lose his team. No, I'm not saying all that. But if it is going to be where it's just strictly code of conduct, then should it be repercussions? Yes. Same thing for Deshaun Watson. That's why he got, you know, actually suspended and fined was because of code of conduct, not more force or not not more for because of the legality of it from uh, law enforcement and such, which is why people were calling for a full year, uh, two years, maybe a indefinite ban. To me, that makes no sense because if you're just basing off of what was going on for what he was accused of, then yeah, then that situation, no. But for code of conduct, you may have something to get him on for that, although that was kind of still iffy for me as well. Okay. Uh, and. So last thing, and I think we should we can move on from that because I, I mean we mostly agree on the NFL and the NBA and all that. The one yeah. thing I am a little confused on, gen, gen, genuinely, I'm not trying to do the, oh well, Daniel, I don't know, no, but um, I'm not trying to add up silver year. I'm looking at the text, buddy, and it doesn't seem like. Uh, but when I I asked you what you thought Deshaun Watson's punishment should be, and you said 
no games. And here you're not, I don't think you're saying that about Robert Sarver. So is it, what is the distinction between those opinions or am I miss, am I misunderstanding something? Because that's the part I still don't quite understand. So for him, I think it's, it's different for an owner and a player when it comes to the punishment. So if Robert Sarver misses games, nothing basically happens to him aside from the, from the fine. For Deshaun okay. Watson, you only can play in the league for so many years. So missing games is a big impact to him um, in terms of game check, in terms of, you know, if it's more than one year, actual big time money and such, too. So to me, I wouldn't say that they're the same in terms of punishments happening to him because as a player, it's a lot different impact to you being punished versus an owner for me. Because so for you, Robert Sar- Oh, go ahead. No, uh, you, I think you're about to ask it, but I'll just ask my point anyway. So you're saying kind of the level of standard of of what should be allowed to cause Robert Sarver punishment is different for what should be allowed to cause um, Deshaun Watson because the consequences are not are not equal. Um, it, if if we punish Robert Sarver and Deshaun Watson the same way, it affects one disproportionately than the other. Um, so the, the you you feel like there should be a higher level level of standard with proving that Deshaun Watson should be punished based on, as opposed to Robert Sarver should be punished. Is, is that, am I misinterpreting that? Or is that what you were saying? No, no, you're correct on that. Cause for me, for being in that position of ownership in that level, then yes, I could see some punishment in that situation, but for a player, because it's not the position to ownership, then that's why I thought for Deshaun, there shouldn't be any punishment at all based off of what he was being accused of. Um, also in terms of long-term ramification, Again, Deshaun can only play for, what, 10, 15 years in the league. Rob Sarver can own the team for the rest of his life type of thing. So, again, the impact is not going to be the same in terms of what you can do in terms of punishment. So, like I said, it has to be a difference to me how I see it and how it's going to be a reaction to me. It's going to be held to different standards. I mean, I don't – I mean, we've we've hashed out where we disagree on that. So, But that definitely does make sense to me. And I actually genuinely was just to – Make sure we everyone understands. I genuinely was confused about that, and he cleared it up. I actually understand that explanation. T, what do you got on that before we move on? Because I wanted to talk about power structures. I wanted to give Daniel a little bit of time to vamp on that a little bit because he was kind of going into it earlier, but um, he didn't completely go all the way there. I want to yeah. talk to him about it a little more, and you, of course. But what, did yeah. you have anything no, on this? I mean, yeah, not not too much more. I mean, I, I feel like just from reading what I read of the report, um, you know, there were some instances. Uh, that Sarver explained some things away. Like there was a very specific thing that struck me was um, someone brought up diversity. Not sure of the context, but he obviously wasn't sure of the context either because someone brought up uh, diversity um, and he immediately said, "I no, I hate diversity. I can't stand diversity. Like, you know, I don't want any part of that. And the, the idea from the people in the room, so to speak, was that he was talking about diversity in general as in regards to people of color, uh, women, so on and so on in the workplace when he explained it as, no, he thought they were talking about diversity from a standpoint of the way the game was being played and, and, and coaching and things like that. So that was one of the ways where he explained it away. And I feel like the entire report to one extent or another was kind of breaking out that way where it was like, no, that's not quite what I meant. And, oh, that was just this. And, oh, that was just that. So I think, you know, I, I agree about the, um, the the differences when you look at Deshaun Watson as a player, um, even more so as a player in another league versus uh, an owner uh, in Sarver. 
But I think this was one of those situations where, and I kind of said this a little bit earlier, I just think with all the information that they got, a lot of people would think it would work against him, Sarver that is. And I actually believe it or not think it ended up working in his favor if you're somebody that thinks that he would have been really devastated if they said he had to be away from the team for, I don't know, two or three years and maybe they find him, you know, 25, 50 million dollars. Um, I think it actually ended up working out for him because he just came off more or less like somebody that should have known better. And as a leader of that organization, owner of that organization should have, you know, cultured a better atmosphere. And he didn't. And he was, in fact, the reason the atmosphere was bad specifically like it. You know, there's other instances we've seen of similar situations like this where the owner just sort of sat back and didn't do anything when they had the ultimate power to. But he seemed to be the linchpin in the whole thing. He seemed to be literally all the toxicity was basically from him and just spreading out from there. So, um, you know, I think when it's all said and done, when we've talked about it earlier, this was about the best you could expect from a punishment standpoint that you were ever going to see out of the NBA for this guy. Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting um, when you, you bring up that diversity point, Terrell. Um, it reminded me of something that I did want to touch on with you guys, uh, which is we know that the – and this is kind of in keeping with the legal legality versus you know what we kind of perceive with our eyes and the differences between that, what we can hold people accountable for legally and non-legally. Um, a lot of the ways that, as I mentioned earlier, that Adam Silver balanced this was that he's done a lot of work within diversifying his 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 supporting cast, so to speak, as an owner, support group, coaching staff, things of that nature. And we know that the legal kind of book definition of racism is about power structures and how do you um, how does your biases infect the power structure to create an uneven playing field? And so is there any credence to the idea that, you know, as I was making fun of Adam Silver and saying that he was basically like, I have eight black friends, but is there any credence to the fact that weighed against the things that he's saying, which do seem discriminatory or at least bias, if not discriminatory? Um, because I think that's a lot of what the legal lease was. It's like we can't prove that he was discriminating against these people based on this because the actions don't line up with that. So from a legal standpoint, we, we cannot say that he was he was engaging in racial discrimination. What we can say is he was being racially insensitive and, and maybe through no intent of his own, it made people feel bad. So do you, is there some credence to that argument that he, he, his actions show that he is not being racist per se in terms of creating an unequal power structure for, for, for black people, for minorities, for women, because he's putting them in positions of power. Um, when he is, but while also he is kind of denigrating them with his actions and words, can both of those things be true kind of at the same time? Do you lend any credence to that kind of line of thinking? Um, I'll say that I don't tend to because I think how you treat your employees matters as well as you also diversifying your portfolio of employees um, and how you treat a work staff is very important specifically to me because I think you know historically America is very like well if I pay you then I can I can put the screw to you whatever I want and I, I'm not right. I'm not about that um, I think you need to show people human decency with uh, basic human decency with how you treat them um, even when it is reprimanding them and say hey do your job there's still a way to go about doing that and it's not the way that 
it's been put forth that Robert Sauber has done it. So anyway, I've said a lot. What do you guys think on that topic? Diversity versus his actions. Do his actions show that he is less quote unquote racist than his words might show? Um, and is that a valuable thing to take into account when determining his punishment? Um, in terms of the punishment, I, for me, I wouldn't say it's as valuable because I feel like you can't just do like I do 10 amounts of good over here so I can do 10 amounts of bad over here and it kind of balances out. I don't think that should be a effective or actually a thing that actually happens and comes to determination for a person's character or what they can get away with. And I feel like because he's like I give a lot of money to the black community or to different organizations, that shows right there that I care more than – half of y'all characters I don't give any money at all so I can kind of talk how I want to talk and that's just how I talk so you should be okay with it because I do a lot of good for quote unquote your community type of thing when again because you are in that leadership role the leadership role the top of the top I think you also should have a level of awareness about who you're working with and what you're saying how you're acting actually affects them because it affects them more than just being oh I'm a little annoyed or a little uncomfortable if you truly understand, like you say you do about because you give money to these organizations about, you know, black culture, black community, um, about women in the workplace, you would know that there's more deep seated into it than just being a little bit, you know, oh, that was kind of unfunny or a little bit annoying. It's more about the fact that you think you can say just the N word over and over and over again and not really know what that means, that you can make jokes about or comment on women's bodies and that no kind of that they may have felt that had that happen to them throughout their entire career and now you're kind of reinforcing that that you can you know do what you want and kind of make people uncomfortable even men as well and that they should be cool good to go with it as well you don't know kind of what's behind all of that or you don't respect it and that's why to me i think that actually will be more of a negative that the fact that you give this money but you still don't understand really of maybe why you're giving the money or what the money helps towards or what the communities have been going through um so i wouldn't give you any extra cushion because you give money out to it to me, I would feel like, okay, well, you should know more than the next person because you know about these these uh, different uh, programs and give them this money. But if you still act this way and feel like you can just do as you want without any repercussions or care about how people around you feel, that to me is more of a negative against you that you would try to balance it out that in that manner. Yeah, I, my biggest concern is is you can you can have a diverse culture, a diverse, a diverse workplace as an owner of a, of a organization of any type. But if you're subjecting them to a, a ridiculously toxic culture, it's almost like it does more harm than good. Um, it's, it's sad to say that because you, you don't, it, it, it doesn't matter if you got a thousand people working for you and they're all white, you shouldn't, you, you shouldn't subject them to a toxic culture like that. But it just feels to me like it's even worse when you tout diversity as a strength of an organization you own and then you subject them to the same toxicity, racial, uh, misogynistic, uh, uh, you know, whatever it might be. It's just and that's the part that stands out to me more than anything, because no one questioned whether or not there were enough black or brown faces at this place, whether there were enough women in this organization. That was never in question. I didn't notice any of that in any of the finer points of the report that came out or anything of that nature. The point was that he subjected them to a culture that was horrible for them. 
And so for me, I don't even think that should be something that he can rest on if he's trying to see a more lenient punishment, if you will. I don't think it's something that Silver should be looking at and saying, well, they're, they, you know, it's a super diverse, you know, guess what? It, you know what? That That's nice. But the point is, it, it makes his toxicity even worse because he wasn't just being toxic in one way. It wasn't just a culture where it was just like, hey, I'm going to say really horrible things to women. It was like almost like he was he was he was aiming his toxicity towards each individual group. Like, yeah, oh, well, I'm going to say the N word. I got some black people here. Oh, there's women here. I'm going to say something about the titties. Like it, it was he was just it, it's weird because he was like an equal opportunity toxic person. And it almost made it worse for me that he had such a diverse culture there at his at, at his organization for him to do that. And, you know, because literally it was like he took advantage of the fact that he had a more diverse culture at the workplace to be even more of an asshole. I don't know that if, if it was a less diverse culture, he probably wouldn't have been nearly as bad, which is really weird to say. But it was worse because he had that that huge amount of diversity there. And it's yeah, it's just gross. Yeah. Allyship, it cuts both ways and it can it can it can aggravate uh, men, it can aggravate white people um, when, because as an ally, I think you get held to a higher standard. I think that that is that is what's supposed to happen. If you know that these things are a problem, then you should be held to a standard that that portrays that you know that these things are a problem. Um, now, I think it can also maybe get you some benefits in the doubt in certain situations where maybe you would get less if you were quote unquote not as viewed as 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 an ally. But in this situation, I think you kind of touch on that. What real allyship is is knowing the situations that you are putting people in and choosing not to put them in those situations on top of the work that you do to undo. Um, the decades history of racism, the decades history of misogyny. So it's not just about, as Daniel says, it's not just about donating to those causes. It's about understanding those causes and being a real, um, a real help to those causes with with your own actions. Um, and you can't just get yourself off the hook by you know donating a lot of a, a lot of money. Now that does that help? And is that also a part of the a piece of the puzzle? Of course. Um, we all know that this country is founded on, on capitalism and money speaks and money talks, but that can't be your only recourse as to as to being helpful to those situations. Um, you have you have to be held accountable. You have to hold yourself accountable and you have to and others have to hold you account as well, even if you do purport to be an ally. It's not a get out of jail free card to do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. I also want to add so, to that. Oh, go ahead. Dude. No, no, I was going to go ahead. I was going to that too, kind of tie back to the whole power dynamic thing and why I think it's irresponsible to use, you know, what good have you done to kind of balance out the trouble you're currently in is when it comes to a player, do they ever do that? Have you ever heard Adam Silver say, oh, well, this player said something crazy on social media or got caught with this type of substance or whatever, and it should be this type of punishment, but he's a really good guy. He's throwing a lot of money. He's in his community, yeah. so we're going to lessen his punishment. I, I, I don't know the, for sure everything, but I don't think I've ever heard that before be used for a player. So in that extent, why is it going to be now be enacted for an owner 
that, oh, you know, you did something wrong, but you're a good guy, though, so we can lessen, you know, the blow for you versus a player when it's like, okay, well, what's the rules say? You can get the full extent to that, and that's going to be the end of it. So that's what I'm saying. I think yeah. it's it's a, a false argument or to kind of use that as a, a reasoning for, you know, why didn't you go even further because you don't use that in all your other determinations because you dole out punishment all the time. Uh, but it seems you're kind of picking and choosing when it comes to it in this certain instance when it comes to the owner. But for the hundreds of players that you punish all the time, um, no matter what they do, it doesn't matter. They're still going to get that punishment or they won't get lessened or off the hook. Or at least you don't mention it when you kind of talk about the reason why you punished them to the extent that you did. That's a that's actually a, an excellent point. I've definitely never heard Adam Silver say, well, Draymond Green got another flagrant, and he's over the limit. But, you know, he had been helping people up ten times before that. So we're going to actually lessen his we're gonna actually lessen his suspension. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to find uh, – ironically enough, Daniel, where, where that kind of stuff does happen for players is, is stuff that's completely inconsequential. Like if a, if a dude does something stupid on the court, like he – goes out of bounds when he's not supposed to or whatever, but he has six titles. Then they do away those kind of things. They're like, yes, oh, that, but that you is have true. six titles, so you get to do whatever you want. That, that is true. <laughs> so in the meaningless stuff that isn't going to uh, equate to affecting anyone's life, they definitely do get some of that. But, yeah, in terms of punishment, definitely definitely not. Um, that was a good segue into the last topic that I want to kind of dive into as, we, as I feel like we've thoroughly broken this down. I actually – I'm not going to lie. I'm quite pleased with this episode thus far. Um, we yeah, just pat myself and us on the back. The power structure, which is something that I think Terrell brought up first. I think it was very stark and kind of jarring almost how frank and upfront Adam Silver was about where the power lies um, and how that affects the punishment. Um, when he was asked point blank, I, I think this actually might have been Howard, one of Howard Beck's questions. Um, uh if a person who is not the owner of an NBA basketball team, if me, if you, if any other employee other than the owners and support staff um, mm. does anything close to this, we lose, we, we get fired. Um, mm-hmm. It's over for us. He gets a slap on the wrist and gets to retain his team. Why is that? And Adam, I mean, frankly, was like, well, he owns the team. I can't, I can't take it from him. I can start. Yeah a process in which I try to take him from him, which I thought was a bit of a cop-out answer. And even he kind of admitted it was a bit of a cop-out answer because then he was asked, well, did you start that process? And he was like, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it wasn't like he was like, he was like, well, I tried, bud, but I couldn't because the owners wouldn't let me. He was like, yeah, not only am I not allowed to do that, I, I am not going to start the process because I don't believe I should. So he's kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth on that. But for our points, he's already getting enough criticism on social media. I'll let other people criticize him for that. For our for our purposes, what do you make of him being so frank about that power dynamic? How does that sit with you? Um, do you think it's fair? Um, recognizing the reality of the situation, whether it's fair or not, it's what's going to happen. So I don't want to necessarily get too deep into the weeds on, well, this is just life, because we kind of I think that's the kind of the caveat that we know going into the conversation. How does the I, I want to know more? Uh, I'm going to be the emotional, Derek. I want to know more about the emotions that it brings into you, or that it's a clear double standard with 
how this man gets to operate and how others get to operate doing the same, doing the, if they were to do the same things. Um, and the different standard it is because he is in a, he is basically in the old, in this ecosystem, he is at the top of it. So there's really no one to hold him accountable truly and, and significantly in terms of the ultimate accountability, which is taking your stuff. There's no one who can do that. Um, and so ergo, he kind of gets to do to an extent, gets to do what he wants with minimal damage. Um, so, Let's dive into that a little bit and, and talk that one out a little more. Yeah, oh, this one, this one's, there's a lot to it on that one, right? Because uh, part of me is kind of hoping, you know, the, ever the, the super optimist is hoping that, okay, well, hopefully if NBA fans hear what he said, they'll take it to heart and actually apply it to other things in life, especially politically, when it comes to, you know, why should we, you know, raise taxes on the, the wealthy? Why should we, you know, have the business owners pay so much more in taxes to help out other people when it's like, oh, they're just like me. If I'm in that situation, then I wouldn't want them to tax me as well. When stuff like this means that, you know, to at a certain point in terms of, you know, what you own or how much you own, you're not like everybody else anymore. There's a whole different set of rules that are out there. And some people to a certain extent notice, I mean, agree with that, but I think they really understand the impact of that and why when you have a chance to, you know, enact certain policies and certain things that go on you should definitely go for it because again they're not going to lose sleep over anything because they're in a whole different world that they're currently living in and how they're being held accountable now in terms of when he said this for robert sarver i wasn't surprised at all because i think i've always had the thought the notion that yeah what's going on is the owners kind of do whatever the hell they want without little to any repercussions unless you have some type of really hard evidence but aside from that it's kind of fast and loose and it's a pretty much a gentleman's club or a boys club there, they're going to protect their own because if I open them up for some type of criticism or losing their team, that could come back to me one day. So I'm going to do whatever I can to protect my fellow owner, brethren or whatever, and make sure that we're good to go and that we're also making money. And once we're good, we'll then help out the players and do such and such and help out the community kind of trickle down from, from that instance. So it wasn't surprising to me. I do feel like Adam Silver kind of got back into a corner to where he kind of had to answer that. I don't want to say that, oh, well, he's just so real that he kind of came up and just, you know, tell, told it how it is and, you know, just, just kind of thrown us a bone there. I think he actually got pinned to a corner. Part of that was because he only gave the standard punishment because it's probably what the owners allowed him to do. So he kind of had to address it for what it was. Like, yeah, that was a great question that they asked, a very good question. And there's really no way to talk around it without, you know, digging yourself into more of a hole at that point it's like all right i'm caught you got me yeah it is what it is there's a difference i know that you probably assume that i'm going to confirm that now it's, it's out there on on tape on paper um so do with that what you want and will there be some blowback I, definitely there will be a little bit especially on social media but i'm not sure that can lead to any type of actual meaningful change either in the nba or outside of it which is kind of what i'm hoping for but at the end of the day i think that you know in america we love rich people and want them to do rich things and don't want to take any of their money. So I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, even knowing that they are not the same as everybody else, even though we kind of trade them out to be. Yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, before T goes, the media was basically like 2014 Adam Silver built this in a cave with a bunch of scraps. Yeah. And he was like, well, I'm not 2014 Adam Silver. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, y'all. What, what do y'all want? <laughs> I'm yeah, just, yeah, just yeah. a man. <laughs> a man with a job to do. <laughs> right, no, I, uh, 
it, it's funny. I mean, for me, I guess probably frustration more than anything. Um, not frustration necessarily from a personal standpoint. Um, for me, the frustration that I feel in this overall situation is because it, it, it so this looks like we've gotten probably more information in a situation like this than we would probably ever get. Um, when I look at the report coming out, when they talk about what happened, the, the, you know, the, the, his employees talking, you know, have talked. He, he's not disputing any of these things. He's saying, yes, this is, you know, these are things that I did. And, and, and you know, and, you know, we can talk about the sincerity of his apology and whatever. But the point is, is that this is this is kind of the, the frustrating part for me is, is that this is probably in these situations, the most we will ever get information wise um, from somebody investigating something like this. And we talked I talked a little bit earlier about how it is in the NFL, where we tend to like not find out because they tend to sweep a lot of things under the rug. Um, baseball's probably pretty secretive as well. Um, so the frustrating part, I guess, when I say that I felt frustration from this is because there was always in the back of my mind, since we, I, I feel like this situation is slightly different because in the back of my mind, I always felt like, man, if public got a hold of the public, got a hold of enough information to say, wow, this guy is pretty gross and this situation is messed up. Then we would start seeing, we would get to a point where things would start happening to these billionaire guys that are owning these teams and, 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 and pulling the strings with these huge organizations that bring in hundreds of millions of dollars every year, if not more, we'll start seeing something and these guys will start acting right. Maybe not change everything they are, but just start realizing, Hey, this is not sustainable. You can't be this guy all the time or this girl, whoever, woman, whatever bottom line is you can't just cause you own a team or an organization, you can't just do stuff like this. And so my thought process was always that if something, if this much information came out, that would, that would, we would see a, a, a turn. We're not, <laughs> we're not, this is the most we'll probably ever see out of any uh, going forward, any other, in any other league, any other owner, if we get this level of information every single time, what we found is that it's really just going to come down to the league and what other owners are willing to allow from a punishment standpoint and what fans are willing to tolerate. And we've shown over the years, fans aren't going anywhere and other owners are going to protect a given owner when they do something wrong. And it doesn't matter how much information comes out. So frustration is the first thing I thought just by listening to all this, because realistically, like I said, this guy's got $10 million is a hit, generally speaking. But I mean, we got players, there's players in the league blowing $10 million in a season on nonsense. So realistically, I don't think this is good. That, that's a slap on the wrist for this dude. Um, so it's very frustrating to know that even with all this, that's all it was. Oh, you get a year vacation. $10 million. Great. Yeah. I think something that Daniel said really kind of crystallized um, one of the, one of the points about, about fines that kind of really changed my perspective on how to view the rich and how to view power structures and things was when someone said that any fine that is put into, into legalese into the law is basically just a poor tax because 
that just means that a rich person can do that and pay the fine and get away with it. Um, so anything that is subjected to just a fine without any kind of legal action um, basically becomes just an invitation for them to do it. Well, if you do not have the resources to do so, I can't do it. Uh, or they, they can't do it. And and, and the way that is, was kind of crystallized was if Target steals my wages, if I get wage theft, the CEO of Target or the person, even the owner of the store who runs that particular franchise, they're not going to go to jail. They will go through a lengthy legal process, and eventually that legal process will decide if I get those wages or not. But they're not going to pay any criminal, um, any real, there's not going to be any criminal punishment for them if they steal my wages. If I steal from Target, I go to jail. Um, and so those different differing power structures and how we treat the rich versus how we treat everybody else, because that's the majority of the country is the not rich, um, so is, is stark. And so Daniel kind of bringing up that point and, and bringing up to uh, comparing it to how it affects how we vote, the political sphere, what, what we tax, what we don't tax. Um, it was something I hadn't even considered. And I think it's an excellent point. Um, and it really it really does bring it back to kind of that thought for me um, about about fines and all that kind of stuff. Um, obviously, because you guys kind of know how I feel about it. Um, overall, um, this kind of just hits on all those kind of little touching points that I have emotionally on, on these kind of situations. Uh, you know, Daniel kind of asked me a couple of weeks ago, like, when will enough be enough from the kind of the social media mob perspective? And I thought that was an excellent question. But I also answered it with, I, I don't know, because these people, they're not scared. Um, I don't think that the people who have the ultimate power are scared of the repercussions that are going, that are in place for them to keep them in line. And obviously with this situation, I, I still do not feel that. I still do not feel like the requisite people, um, when you read some of the accounts on that ESPN story about how women who have gone through that industry, how they have to just kind of put a layer of shield upon themselves that, hey, I'm going to get sexually harassed. That will happen. So I have to just be thick-skinned. I have to try to move past it because that's just the business that I've signed up for. I have to go in there and I have to I have to know that, that I have to have plot armor around me because there's this is the only way I'm going to get through it. If I, if I try to pretend like it's not going to happen, I'm going to be sorely disappointed. We still have cultures, not, and that's not basketball, football, the MLB. These are all just a microcosm of society. We still have numerous places in our culture where things just aren't aren't even close to being fixed. I I, I don't even want to say they're like people are trying to mend them, and I think people are doing the best they can. I think there are a lot of people with good hearts and good intentions, but the actions and the repercussions they're not lining up, and they're not. They're not making people scared to do these things. Um, Terrell kind of agreed with me on that point where I, I just don't feel people are scared to be sexist, to be racist, to be homophobic. Um, now, do I want those repercussions to kind of affect someone in a way where they can't, you know, learn and grow? Not necessarily. But do I want there to be enough repercussion to where someone actually does the work to actually change and grow? Uh, I do, and I don't feel like the, I don't feel like we've found that balance yet. I don't I don't have the answer on that. I don't know where that balance is, but I I know that it's not there uh, for me, and so that's how I kind of feel on the power structure situation. I definitely think those who are and this isn't nothing new. I don't think we're telling the I I know I I have the line about how we educate the audience and they have new information. I don't think the audience is is, is sitting here like oh my god they've opened my eyes to how power works, but I still think it's a. Uh, a worthy discussion to have and it's it's just how we it's how y'all feel it's how i feel i just don't think yeah. we're at a place where the punishments 
are de-incentivizing the the behavior has, isn't changing at the at the pace that I would like for it to uh, to change. Um, so, closing thoughts on that as Terrell gets a visitor. <laughs> Uh, closing thoughts on that or anything else as we kind of get on out of here, fellas. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that the NBA overall is going to take a hit towards kind of how it's how it's seen, I think, in the public now moving forward just because of uh, how they handled this. Um, I do think it's going to be a bit of a step back. Now, I still think perception will be that they're still ahead of the NFL, but I think people kind of open their eyes about, okay, well, maybe not as much as we thought. And maybe we kind of will look at some of the things that they're doing more like with a side eye and not so much being like, oh, definitely the NBA is for the people, for the players, for minorities, for women. Um, a lot of things that they are pushing. And, they, of course, the NBA has done a lot of good, too. Um, but I think sometimes we do forget that they are still a big business, a very big business. And at the end of the day, business is going to do what they always do, which is protect themselves and keep making that money. So. Um, I think moving forward, I know people have been talking about how there may be a shift in power eventually to where the owner's going to try to take some more back from the players. Um, don't be surprised by that. And I just think that, you know, just, you know, just keep an open mind and just kind of understand what you're seeing and, and understand that. I know that we love the NBA, but it is still at the end of the day, just big business like any other industry in America. Real quick. Um, Phoenix Suns minority owner. Sham Nahafi, I guess he owns the second largest stake in the team behind Sarver. He just released a statement and he basically said, I'm calling for the resignation of Robert Sarver. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. I don't, I, so that the only reason I find that interesting is because, well, hell, a lot of reasons I find that interesting, but I find that interesting because with him owning the second biggest piece, I'm sure there's a whole lot behind the scenes going on with that. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's making a, a move or he may plan on making a move to get a bigger piece of the team uh, based on this. Uh, but that being said, yeah, I mean, he uh, he said, well, I have no. In- oh, well, I'll take that back. While I have no interest in becoming the managing partner, I will work tirelessly to ensure the next team steward treats all stakeholders with dignity, professionalism and respect. So. Basically, I think it's just because he owns the second biggest the, the, the second biggest piece of the team is why he's advocating for the, for him to resign and then bring in some new blood, basically. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, and I'm just looking at this on Twitter right now. And, of course, everybody's commenting that, you know, he, his ulterior motive is, you know, even though he says otherwise, is that he's trying to get, a, a, you know, a bigger chunk of the team. It's like Game of Thrones, uh, man. That, that, said, that, just, that just dropped, like, right now, like, literally in the last few minutes. So breaking news. Yeah, Terrell live reporting. Hey, man, I'm just saying, because I had a feeling – I had a feeling something had to pop off about this. It had been too long. I mean, we're talking about a good three days or whatever it's been since the um, two, two, three days since that report came out. There's no way the rest of the ownership isn't going to come out. However many there are, are, aren't going to come out and say something. I mean, they almost have to. And the re and, and I found it also interesting real quickly here because I do not recall who it was, but they very specifically said, and they made a lot of sense, and it, it made more sense than anything. Nothing's really going to happen in this situation. Go, go, kind of tying back into what we just got finished talking about, nothing's really going to happen in this situation unless other owners step up and say something. Yeah. Um, I my expectation was that other owners would be owners of other teams. 
I am actually very surprised that the second biggest stakeholder in the team, the actual team he owns the biggest stake in, in said something. Mm-hmm. I would have expected it from anyone else that owned the team. I would not have expected it from the guy sitting right next to him, basically. So, well, um, it makes it makes it, it makes sense on multiple levels, honestly, if you think about it yeah. from any of the perspectives, the altruistic perspective or the more, you know, cynical perspective, um, Daniel mentions Game of Thrones, chaos is a ladder and the suns are in chaos. And so <laughs> if you want to look at it cynically, this man is going to use that chaos to kind of up his his profile, um, either in the public mm-hmm. sphere or within the suns organization or both. Um, or if you're looking at it altruistically, he's like, hey, man, we, this this has been a crackerjack organization for a long time. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of having my name on it. Um, and so even if I don't want to be the majority owner, I definitely don't want him to be the majority owner. Or it could yeah. be a bit of both. Like people are complicated, yeah. grave figures. He could want power, but also kind of be like, I want power for good sake. Now, as we well, know, as and, we know, absolute power But here's the thing. He he said he wasn't trying to, basically was, was saying in his, in his statement, he kind of talked about how um, he said he had no interest in becoming the managing partner. But the thing is, if you go out and replace Sarver, if all, you know, have the shakeout with, with two or three other people, he may end up being de facto the guy with the biggest piece of the team. Yeah. We see that with the Spurs. You got a whole bunch of people own pieces of the Spurs. So he may not be pursuing that. He may not be out here saying, hey, man, let me go ahead and get a cut of what he got so I can get that 51% and the rest of y'all can have the crumbs. No, like he's basically just saying, like Derek just said, it just don't need to be him anymore. Uh, but and you know how it is in the NBA. You can have two or three people that get together and buy a chunk of that team. And he could end up being the, the guy. And, and let's be real. He he knows how that's going to look. So like this is why this is why living in this world is so hard, because even if he, he can he can truly believe that. But even if he didn't believe that, he knows he has to say it because he knows that's the first thing that people are going to say when he releases that statement. Right. So anyone so put it out. The, the only thing that this truly shows me is that he's smart because an idiot wouldn't have had that in their statement. But a smart person knows uh-huh. this. Per, this is right. exactly what they're going to ask me. And so whether it's true or not, it has to be in this statement. Yeah. So, Let me go ahead and throw it out here. So uh, we appreciate that live bit of reporting, Terrell, and we got to comment on that a little bit. So we got to do a full, a full-on show here. Um, basically, the whole episode was, "Is this your king?" And the answer is no. Robert Sarver is not our king, um, and so we're gonna go ahead and skip on that segment. I did want to call attention to my shirt, guys. Look, he's a friend from work. Oh, I, I had I think a good was, one for this too. Oh, for is this your, for, is this your king? Uh, yeah, it kind of matched the whole power dynamic oh. thing. I thought it was very oh, interesting. Go ahead, D. Uh, don't, don't let me dull your shine, bro. I didn't know you had something. Go let ahead, you, bro. So let me know, um, let me know if I heard this. Terrell. I got I to do the setup, bro. You know I got to do the setup. Would you say that it is time or it is not time for the greatest segment in the history of segments? Let me see. Okay. He's checking. Oh, yeah, it's time. Oh, yeah, he, it is. Daniel, he got back to me. It turns out it's time. Go ahead, man. So I'm not sure if you heard about this, but it came out a couple of days ago um, about the state of Illinois. And they actually recently passed a new law or a new act called the Safety Act. And what it actually effectively does, it actually eliminates cash bails for the entire state. Um, so why this is a big impact, though, is that, say, just for an example, if maybe I got accused of stealing something, most times you go in front of a judge and then, you know, you get arraigned and they'll set you a bail. Uh, so you can you know uh, either get if you pay for it, you can get out. If not, you have to stay in, pr- stay in prison. 
Um, this actually removes that altogether. So if there's going to be a bail, then it's just like, okay, well, you're free to go on your own recognizance, come back for your court date at a later point in time. Now, why this is important is because they have noticed that, you know, a lot of times that the people that are sitting in jail or basically people that just can't afford it, they haven't even been convicted of anything yet. They're waiting for their trial. I think it's something about 33% or if not more than that, almost more than a third of the people currently in jail or in prison are, are waiting for trial. I have not been convicted right. of anything at all. Um, right. So this actually removes that. But why this is on, is this your king, is that, of course, how politics go. Uh, there have been a few Republicans coming out calling this the Purge Act now. That's what they're naming it for. They call it the Purge Act, they say. They say what they're basically doing is releasing all these criminals out into the world to be around us. So they're releasing all of these rapists and all these murders and stuff. That to haven't be, been convicted. Mm-hmm, to be, you know, at, at at your school or at your job or, you know, at your kitchen table so they can go out and wreak havoc while the Democrats want, you know, to burn the whole world down. Now, this ties back to our whole power dynamic thing because just Let's say just two different people. One man's poor, one man is rich. Both been accused of murder. Maybe they both are murderers, but they both get set a bail for $100,000. So without having this new act in place, it still really doesn't change anything because, again, if I'm a murderer, but I have $100,000, I'm still out Mm -hmm. at school, at my job, at your kitchen table, doing whatever the hell I want. Mm -hmm. But if mm-hmm. I'm a murderer, but haven't given it yet, but I don't have hundred thousand dollars, then I'm in jail. So I guess that kind of fits what you're trying to have happen. So in a sense, if you think about it, bail in general for state, local, whatever, is basically a way to kind of keep poor people in prison and mm-hmm. get out of jail free car for rich people. Because it doesn't really, it doesn't really do anything except say that if you can pay this, you can go. So we don't yep. know for sure that you've done something, so you can go ahead and be free mm-hmm. on your own recognizance. Um, so basically, we assume that you're innocent, so you don't need to stay here. Right. So in a sense, we don't think that you're guilty just yet, but if you can't pay this, you have to stay here now. So it's kind of wild that, you know, I really never thought about that until this actually got passed, but there really is no need yeah. for bail at all because if someone thinks for sure you murder somebody, mm-hmm. there's not going to be a bail. You're going to stay in jail no matter what, right? So that kind of solves that problem. But if it's where you can be allowed to be out on your own cognizance, then there shouldn't be a bail at all either, right? It's like correct. We assume you assume you're innocent. Do your thing. I didn't know. I didn't know we hadn't talked about this before, bro. I've been advocating for no Mm -hmm. bail for a very long time because it is. It's like I said. It's like the fines. It's just an invitation for poor people to be disenfranchised, while Mm -hmm. rich people get to do whatever the hell they want. Um, Now, in this case, you you do have to. Rikers Island on line one, (laughs) (laughs) and this this also goes back to our our our, to another issue, which is overpopulation of prisons, which is they don't even have room for all the prisoners that they need to have room for because they're so busy keeping poor people in jail because they can't pay bail. Um, So yeah, I mean it's 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 very craven when there's an actual real solution to something, and the Republicans are just like, yeah, but no, not that because I don't know. I hate poor people. I, like they never even really come up with good explanations for some of these points. Like the defund the police, I I got with the terminology, some of the things, some of the extreme points. This is not an extreme position to say that two people who have done the same thing should not be treated unequally because one has more money than the other. That is not an extreme position by any stretch of the imagination. So to try to frame it as extreme is crazy. And it's why because, you know, I never thought of it because it's been a part of our lives since, you know, we've all been born. It's like, yeah, yeah. bail is just what it is. It's yeah. just a thing. But to yeah. actually think about what it does is like, yeah, there is no reason at all to have bail for anything unless you're just trying to make money right. off of people or keep certain people, you know, in prison. Or 
a bigger yeah. part too is while you're sitting there without making bail, you can't go to work and you're probably gonna lose your job or you can't get your kids yeah. or pretty much your whole life yeah. kind of falls apart while you're sitting there waiting for you know your, your day in court. And for them to try and say, okay, that not guilty. Yeah, and you can still be not guilty, but then come out a lot worse than you went in because you lost your job, people left you, or something happened to your kids or your mom or whatever might have happened in your lifetime. So, oh, yeah. And it's, by it's, the it's, way, most courts are backed up, not only because they were backed up before, but because COVID backed them up even further. So yeah. that you're also dealing with that, that you're not going to get a speedy trial because they can't, they literally don't have the infrastructure in place to give you a speedy trial. So you're just going to sit there. Right. And lose money, your job, your life, because you can't pay a hundred thousand dollars because you're not rich. Meanwhile, the rich person who doesn't necessarily need to be out can and will uh, be out. Not saying that their freedom is less important. Just saying they don't necessarily need to be out to make money if they have a hundred thousand dollars to store around in your work. So yeah, right. um, all I heard D is that slowly but surely I'm t- I'm getting you to my extremist side, and you're seeing your third eye is opening. And I'm just, but that's not even that, uh, to me. It's not even extremist. No, that's never actually thought I'm about not. it though. <laughs> yeah, I'm just. I'm just I'm, I'm, that's I'm true. Totally, I'm I mean, totally if you put it in that context. It makes sense. Like yeah, like like it, it, one's going to be able to afford bail. And he's accused of the same exact thing the other one that can't afford bill is. So basically, that's literally what you're doing is you're saying you ain't got enough money to get out, even though you ain't been convicted of nothing. So you got to sit here while your counterpart over here that got the money is going to be out in these streets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other thing is, what about the situation where that person that got the money actually is a murderer? Yeah, exactly. And the person yeah. that don't got mm-hmm. no money is, you know? <laughs> but, but you see that, though. You see people walking the street that really did stuff. I mean, the funny thing is, in your analogy, look at R. Kelly. (laughs) R. Kelly was out in these streets for years, man, and he was rich. And realistically, the average dude on the street, if you accused him of one of those counts, as of right now, and he just happens to be also a guy from Chicago, as of right now, you know, before all that happened, that dude would have been, even on one count of that, would have been sitting in jail. R. Mm-hmm. Kelly barely saw any jail until the last latter of the last several years. But I mean, we talking about stuff going back to when I was just out of high school that this dude was being accused of stuff, man. So yeah, I mean, I think that's awesome and hopefully it spreads across the country. Oh, R. Kelly's a whole different can of worms. That was a excellent edition of Is This Your King? And that means that the show is now it's time to wrap up the show. And so I'm gonna start doing this. Uh, and I'm gonna ask, yeah. and I'm asking Daniel to say goodbye to the people. What up, man? So long, people. You know what it is. You can find me nowhere on social media except on this network right here. Speaking for sport, and of course, Ray Bonko's podcast from the grill, breaking down the X's and O's of Cowboys football, baby. But until then, much love to y'all, people. And of course, you can't find Daniel on any social media. He's a uh, incognito mode. Um, but you can find Terrell on social media. Terrell, give us your plugs, my man. At Terrell Huff on Twitter and on Instagram. You can find me on uh, Facebook, but I don't care because I don't really pay attention to them. Uh, let me see. You're going to be able to find your boy here in the next couple of months on uh, Disney Plus. Geographic side. We're going to do a little Bugs Life thing, so it's going to be fun. Uh, got a couple of commercials floating around out there, but I'll let you go. Also, Instagram. Kia Media Code. The boy be taking pictures and whatnot, so we gotta need some pictures taken. I'll let you boy. I follow him. Do you follow him? He takes good pictures. And 
course, you can find me on all social media platforms at E.R. Lewis, not third. I am, of course, your most excellent and venerated podcaster host. Do I say your podcaster? D.R. Lewis. The third. They did it. They did it. And, and since they did it, Huff hit him with the outro, baby. Speaking for sports, because somebody has to. Goodbye. Speaking for sports. And we out, baby. Watch this. Watch this. Hey, and we out. And we out. Hey, and we out. And we out. Hey.